welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Sometimes it's, uh, there's no words, you know, you just, um, you hear a truth of God, you just got to rest in it. He is enough. He is our provider. He himself is provision. In himself, he is provision. those who you've lost a job, you're looking for a job, you've lost a family member, you've lost finances, you've lost relationships, you've lost whatever you've lost, God provides for you. And sometimes the best place to be, even though nobody wants to experience loss, is at that moment because God loves to force us sometimes to lean into him. (laughs) Oh, man. Let's, um, let's get cracking. I have uh, a limited amount of time today. Um, as you're standing, go ahead and uh, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Um, we're going to go through uh, not, not an unpopular uh, verse. I guess it depends on uh, how church cultured you are, how church culture adjacent you may be. You, uh, you may have been familiar with this passage, and if not, and it's new for you. We're still going to all walk through it together. So, verses 1 through 11, um, not necessarily long, not necessarily short, but we're going to all read it together. I think it's important to, um, to put your voice on it, to put your eyes on it and your voice on it so we can see what the word of the Lord has to say. Um, so, let's go ahead and read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. 1, 2, 3, read. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. I hear you, Dr. Sarita, getting excited right there. That, that, that sentiment should be echoed throughout the congregation. In case you don't know who we're talking about today. 
but we'll go ahead and dive into it. So um, for our hearing today, I'm going to preach from the topic of the power of humility, how low can you go? The power of humility, how low can you go? Go ahead, have a seat. Let's dive in. Uh, by virtue of what Christ has done, uh, the bar, you could say, is set high um, uh, with regard to how low one can go in terms of humility. Jesus the Christ did it like no one else can. Uh, because of what Christ has done in his humility and in his coming low, maybe it's better said that the bar is set low. Uh, that would make the Christian life goal to be able to, I guess, kind of limbo well, right? So it's funny. I guess if you don't remember anything else from the sermon today, know that if you can spiritually limbo and go low, you might be okay. At any rate, let's, before we dive in, just give a brief overview, uh, just for some context of Philippians chapter 2 uh, from the first chapter up till now so we know what was going on in terms of what was written. So the story of the Philippian church's inception is found in Acts 16. So if you're unfamiliar, feel free to Go ahead and read that at your leisure time. Uh, the city was a Roman province in Macedonia and existed under a different name before Philippi. It was named Philippi when the king of Macedonia, Philip II, who, by the way, is also the father of Alexander the Great, named it after himself. Philippians is a letter from Paul to the saints in Philippi and was in some ways a response to them after they sent Epaphroditus a brother in the congregation, to Paul, bearing a gift and to minister to Paul. The saints in Philippi must have loved and appreciated Paul because they gave to him on more than one occasion financially while he was in Thessalonica. That's in Philippians 4. You can read that at your leisure as well. One of the most notable aspects of the letter uh, is that Paul is writing while imprisoned. I'll say it again. What we're about to read, Paul is writing while he is imprisoned. Philippians contains that verse that so many of us like to quote, right? Some of you know it, especially in evangelical circles, Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through who, right? Now, what's funny is sometimes uh, this verse is used out of context because it's actually speaking of, Paul is speaking about learning the secret of contentment. Mind you, he's in prison. <laughs> doing all things through the one who strengthens him is him speaking to him learning the secret of contentment and being able to be content and manage well with a little or with a lot in times of plenty or in times when things are lean so that's some context just so that we can uh uh, know what is being said the context is being said in so we get a good picture of it all right y'all track it with me all right so uh, here I am talking about humility. So who in their right mind preaches on humility? It's a setup, <laughs> right? Because uh, I'm going to immediately be forced to look at all the ways that I'm not humble. Uh, people will now take note of whether I'm humble or not based on what I preach. Uh, the irony of studying humility and preaching on it is that the exercise and experience in and of itself, um, it, it's humbling. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, when I was going through this process, it's funny because uh, the emotional roller coaster, but um, of being able to preach to people and try to give them something impactful, but, but saying to yourself, are you living it as well? Um, so uh, uh, it's one of those things you can't really brag about. You know, like if you think you're becoming more humble, are you really becoming more humble? <laughs> right? It's, it's a bit elusive, right? Because, um, you know, you could very well be focused on self too much in that moment. So uh, disclaimer, this is... Uh, uh, slightly uncomfortable for me. Uh, the reality is I'm a proud person, right? I think if most of us are going to be honest with ourselves, we're going to say that we are proud people, but we should strive for humility by the grace of God. So I ask that you walk with me uh, through this exercise at gazing at the text, which gazes at the mind and attitude of the Christ so we can spur one another along in embracing a Christ-focused type of humility and moving from self-centeredness to selflessness. All right, so by way of a little bit of illustration, right, y'all know our society, it prizes uh, people and things that are perceived as high and elevated, and we kind of despise things are, that, are, that are low, right, or we ignore things that are low. No one wants to be at the bottom, all right? Everyone wants to be at the top. 
We know this is true because in a 2013 sermon from one of your favorite preachers, Drake, right? Y'all remember he came out with the song, started from the bottom, now we here, right? The notion is uh, a culture respects uh, maybe that you can start at the bottom, but that you don't remain at the bottom. The goal is to rise to some type of occasion or status, right? That, that is always been um, what culture in different eras uh, has produced, but especially in the Western world and especially in America. Um, uh, so we have things like we'd ra- we value high class more than we value low class. Uh, we value someone that we look at and we perceive them to have high IQ versus low IQ. Um, if you are a, a basketball fan, the whole reason uh, the NBA dunk contest is a thing is because people want to see what your vertical is. We value high vertical over low vertical. We say, oh, that man ain't got no bounce. I prefer to see the guy with the average height leap through the roof, right? We value high point totals in video games versus low point totals or any other game. Y'all, re- I don't know, I may be dating myself, but... I'm, from, I'm a child of the 80s, and so when we grew up, it was a lot of arcades back then. And I know we got Dave and Busters and stuff like that now, but it ain't like it used to be. We used to be able to go in any mall, and it was a mom-and-pop, no-name arcade. And, and what you would see on the arcade, uh, um, or on the game in the arcade, is whenever the popular game was there, you would see the high scores of whoever, you know, it was your goal to have your name on that list, right? Because the high scores are valued, not low scores, you don't even get on the list. Right. And so um, uh, we value the uh, top of a graduating class, uh, not the bottom. We value being at the top of an org charts, not the bottom. So this is what we value in society. Right. High over low. And even discussing the notion of God, we refer to him as having revealed himself as the most high God. Yet in his passage, we are instructed to have a mindset that was the very same that Yeshua had. A mindset that would cause one who is the most high to go, the most high goes, all right? Believe it or not, God has quite a bit to say about humility, all right? When we look at Lord Yeshua's words, we look at what does he say about money? What does he say about marriage? What does he say about heaven? What does he say about hell? Um, The scripture has things to say about humility, So we dishonor God's word and short-circuit our sanctification when we pick and choose to lean into or obey particular parts of Scripture or aspects of our walk instead of others. Humility, you can put this up here, is dispensable in the life of a believer, and it is the way of the Savior. Humility is indispensable in the life of a believer, and it is the way of the Savior. That means that we don't get to avoid it. And humility is not about checking boxes when it comes to doing humble actions. Rather, it's about being, at the core, humble. The passage that we're in today uh, is not merely about Christ's humility alone and his obedience. Rather, it's an instruction from Paul to the saints at Philippi about a mentality. It's about a mentality a Christian should have, one of humility and selflessness with the goal of unity. All of this is easier said than done, and so we need the help from our God. Let's go through some definitions, right, so that we all understand that we're talking about the same stuff. So we have that. You can put it up there. If not, I'll go ahead and read it. So pride. How do we define pride? A high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether as cherished in the mind or as displayed in bearing conduct, the state or feeling of being proud, a becoming or dignified sense of what is due to oneself or one's position or character, self-respect or self-esteem, pleasure or satisfaction taken in something done by or belonging to oneself or believed to reflect credit upon oneself. By contrast, humility, right? It's funny, the antithesis, it's freedom from pride or arrogance. Right? That's how you define humility, not being proud. The quality or state of being humble, the quality or condition of being humble, a modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance or rank. Being humble, not proud or arrogant, modest, again the antithesis, low in rank, importance or status or lowly. Now the Bible does not contain any notion that uh, one should not have dignity, 
um, or that, uh, or think of themselves in some undignified manner. Sober thinking places value on humans um, because of being made in the imago Dei or image of God. Thus, humility is not thinking less of oneself, but rather being appropriately self-aware and subsequently not being self-centered or overly concerned with self. Pride, on the other hand, is a lack of self-awareness, especially in light of who God is. In moments that, are, that we are prideful, we are not who we think we are. Because in that moment, you're thinking you're something that we obviously are not, which of course leads to pride. Proverbs 16.5, everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. This is what the Lord says about pride. Have you ever thought about why God opposes the proud? Anybody ever thought about that? Why does God oppose the proud? Why does he hate pride and the haughty heart? Max Licato says this, God resists the proud because the proud resist God. Arrogance will not admit to sin. The heart of pride never confesses, never repents, never asks for forgiveness. Pride is the hidden reef that shipwrecks the soul. Now, I thought about this and I thought, man, pride is perilously deceptive. God hates pride because it presumes to possess that which belongs to God alone. Only God can legitimately feel like a position is owed to him and it actually be owed to him. <laughs> On the other hand, God loves humility. Humility is unlike other admirable characteristics and virtues because it is the one that postures us appropriately in mind and in heart. I'll say it again. It reminds us of who we are because it postures us appropriately in mind and in heart. It reminds us of who God is, who others are, which is important for community, who we are, and even who we are not, right? That's important in God's economy, right? You, you don't want to just do humble things. Being humble is recognizing who God is, who we are, and who we are not. Humility is not self-hate. It is not low self-esteem. Humility is thinking less about yourself if you don't see yourself correctly and thinking about yourself less if you are self-centered. So John 3.30, and then we'll get into it. Uh, John says he must, y'all familiar with it, he must decrease, I mean, he must increase, and I must decrease. Or other translations uh, will read something like, he must become more important, speaking of Jesus, and we must become, or I must become, less important. This is how we know that humility does not begin with man. Humility begins with God. You cannot be humble in isolation. There has to be a standard to measure up against. All right, so let's go through. I got a few points for you today. Point one, if you're a note taker, point one. Point one, selflessness. Selflessness, an element of humility. So I'll read verses uh, one through four, Philippians two. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete. Make me happy. Complete the circle by thinking the same way, having the same love, united. There's that word, united, unity, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That's more unity language, one purpose. One purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. The language Paul is using there, um, uh, 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 many theologians uh, kind of point to, is not if as in a question or conditional, but more like a sense. It's assuming that those things are present, and if they are, then let's have unity of the same mind, and that's supposed to lead us to avoiding selfish ambition and considering others uh, as important. We must steer clear of selfish ambition and vanity. This is not natural for us, though, for people because we are self-centered. Our culture feeds our inclination to promote ourselves and our appetite for self-ambition. Mark 9.35, of course, Jesus is saying this, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Look at Paul's words in Philippians 1, 15 and 16. Some preach because of rivalry or self-interest. 
Paul speaks also um, of how he engages gospel proclamation with a selfless posture. Now, look, y'all, we have no shortage of opportunities to be selfless, right? It's always around us, in church, outside of church, at work, at school. You can always be uh, selfless practically. However, we will often find what I like to call uh, janky justifications for not doing so, right? Now, if we look at the verse, verse 4, this not only or also or as well as phraseology, depending on the translation you're reading, uh, in verse 4, it assumes that we have a basic responsibility to take care of ourselves and that it is expected that we have some level of self-interest. So God is not saying that you have no interest in your own affairs or yourself personally, right? It, it wouldn't make no sense. It's not practical. You should have uh, some type of self-interest, but we should not look out for those self-interest only, all right? It is not only, we do not need to be reminded to look out for ourselves. We do that already. We need to be reminded to not only do that. So Matthew 22, it records Jesus is saying this. It says that we should love our neighbor as ourself. The assumption is that we already love ourselves. So, so the setup is, yeah, how you love yourself, love your neighbor the same way. When you're, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, it's, so, confession, right? And so if I'm rolling and I'm like, man, the kids ain't in the whip. Um, you know, wife may not be with me. I, you know, I'm on my own time, my own schedule. And I roll by and I ain't eight and I see Chick-fil-A. Man, I'm at look, 12 piece, this sauce, that sauce, that sauce, right? And I have no hesitation in doing so because I will submit to my own self-interest, right? The Bible assumes that, and you can fill in the blank, the Bible assumes that you will do what you want to do for you, now apply that to others. Self-centeredness works against unity in the body of Christ. Unity should be a goal among believers because it is Christ's prayer in John 17. And we are working against unity when we consider ourselves more important than others, especially others in the faith. Now, being humble doesn't uh, happen in a vacuum. Uh, humility is exercised among others. This is another reason we can't neglect assembling as the church like some do habitually, right? We see this in Hebrews, right? You can't be humble in isolation. You cannot be humble in isolation. You have to be in proximity to others to value them and to value their interests over your own. You cannot be humble in isolation. So, the pandemic has brought this, um, this new wave, right? <laughs> like, you know, now that we know that we have technology, we know that we can sit and watch uh, Preacher A, B, and C from uh, uh, wherever our location is on whatever platform. Now we don't want to commit to a local body where we can actually experience humility and uh, without even knowing cause others to experience humility through service. All right. So don't be duped by the ability to have technology in a pandemic. I know we don't want people to be unsafe, but know that your elders have prayed feverishly. Leadership uh, team here makes, wants to make sure that everybody's masked and healthy. That's why we make you register and do all of this stuff. But we want people and God wants people to gather together so that humility can be seen. You have to be in proximity to others. All right. Um, if not, we work against unity. Right. Um, uh, service. Point two. Philippians two verses five through seven. Philippians two verses five through seven. Adopt the same attitude or mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had, uh, and when he had come as a man. Um, we could be here for 30 weeks, right? Obviously, I don't have the time today uh, because this is deep theological waters, but we're going to do um, a quick uh, kind of speedboat over it and touch some things and keep it moving. It all starts in the mind, humility. Our thinking must be biblical so that we can be sober and properly postured. All right, y'all heard the phrase that your attitude determines your altitude? It's usually in the context of rising to great heights based on a positive attitude, and there, there's truth and value to that, but 
in a Christ-centered context, the ideal attitude will cause one to go low in altitude, which results in the elevation, the building up of others. We are serving and finally uh, going to come to an exaltation for us on the back end of all of this when our life of service has concluded, but not now. Now you need to be humble. The mind is so crucial in the life of a Christian, especially as it relates to humility. I mean, it relates to everything else. Like, we can't even repent without the proper mindset, right? When, 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 when Jesus says, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand or come close, um, that Greek word, that transliteration right there, that metanoia is a changing of the mind. The changing of the mind is what impacts your actions so that you can turn another way and walk away from your sin and towards God, right? You can't. Yeah, so the mind is valuable in God's economy. It helps us to understand humility. It helps us to understand repentance. The mind is so crucial in the life of a Christian because we can short circuit our sanctification if, our, if the renewing of our mind doesn't happen in Romans 12. Right? So understand that what you feed your mind with is what's going to impact how you think and how you maneuver in life, especially with what you think about regarding humility. So we must think like Jesus. Humility starts in the mind. Paul is asking saints in Philippi to have a particular mindset. What mindset? Jesus served. I'll say it again. Jesus served. The eternal son embraced being a servant. The eternal son embraced being a servant. So what we mad about? <laughs> Y'all, we remember back in the day at Epiphany, right? Right. One, one, one of the one of the unspoken uh, kind of levels of uh, 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 like uh, measuring sticks that we would use is: is somebody willing to stack chairs uh, when we used to have the white chairs that we stack after every service? Like, if you can't even do that, then you shouldn't be asking to do something else, right? Especially with some type of title or leadership role or responsibility, right? Right. Serve, right. Paul is saying that all who have faith and confidence in Christ and who have been redeemed by his comprehensive work from this condescending all the way to the cross should adopt the very same mentality that led Jesus to do what he did. Doing this will aid us in becoming more effective partners in the gospel. Paul talked about in that in a previous chapter, verse 27. Go read that at a later time. But the context here is that the mindset is supposed to impact how we relate to each other. It's not just humility in a vacuum. It should impact others. We have redemption because of the humility of God. Isn't that a wild notion? The humility of God. The humility of God. Jesus didn't selfishly cling to the outer expression of his divinity. Talk about not being entitled, one who could be legitimately only Jesus can be be and feel legitimately entitled but he didn't hold on to his entitlement as God I was talking with somebody this week um who who I just met over the phone they they may be here today um uh and we talked about the topic of obscurity right um obscurity is the state of being unknown inconspicuous or unimportant we despise that we don't like that (laughs) not at all (laughs) right who wants to be obscure who wants to in some way show up on the planet and and not have any type of impact or legacy uh and sometimes we we relate that to the uh to the notion of obscurity we despise that especially in america we are groomed and conditioned since kids to be somebody right now now don't say Pastor Max said, go home and be nobody. That's not what I'm saying. My son will tell you, I jam him up about that all the time. Like, hey, man, what you, you being average, I need you to, you know, step it up. So there is some, some value to being somebody, but, but with no goal in sight, it's, it's empty. You don't want to just be somebody to be somebody. Don't leave um, here trying to say that I'm telling you not, not to be anybody. But, but you want to be humble in your existence here. You don't want to just try to be somebody. Now, um, uh, we can't be enamored with accomplishments, gifts, and blessings from God uh, that make us somebody because that works against humility. We take that in context. We use it to the glory of God and to the service of others, right? And don't get me started on social media, right? 
oftentimes the competition field of self-promotion. <laughs> and sometimes through these rehearsed masks and facades. Now, I ain't going to police your social media. I'm just saying, right, imagine what we go through, right? Ima look, so, so another confession, right? So, you know, many times, uh, uh, you, know, I, you know, I'm with wifey and, you know, she got something. I'm like, babe, you look good. You know, you put this on social media, right? Uh, and then we sit there and take 18 pictures and choose the best one and the right filter for what we put out. And then somebody sees that and they see it as a baseline. And no wonder we have a culture that's trying to compare ourselves against one another, against what's not even real. It's the best promoted version of somebody else. That's another topic, another sermon. But juxtapose this, our hateful obscurity, with the notion of what Christ did in Philippians 2.7, right? A more antiquated uh, translation of the Greek says this, right? Uh, the older phrase, y'all might have remembered this if y'all from, from church culture, right? He made himself of no reputation. <laughs> he made himself of no reputation. It sounds like obscurity to me, right? So um, there's value in that because Christ existed as much more, but made himself of no reputation. So the question on the floor is, what exactly did Christ empty himself of? Right? This has been debated about for, for, for centuries, right? Um, what we know is this, right? I'm not going to get into too much, but, but what we do know is this, that he emptied himself, um, what he emptied himself of did not cause him to cease being God, and he did not become a lesser God because if he emptied himself of his deity, he would cease to be God, and the eternal son has always been God, he is God, and will always be God. So understand that. That's first, right? Um, uh, and and, and y'all going to make me quote uh, Colossians 2, 9, 2. Um, it says this, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, right? So the, the, when he empties himself, he's not emptying himself of any type of deity. He remains God. What he's doing is taking on an additional nature. This humanity, right? This, that, that fancy theological term, the hypostatic union. That 100% man and 100% God, not 50% of either, right? So to come down and to be able to assume what is associated, especially from his perspective, as low. <laughs> We're not even on the same level as angels. <laughs> and he comes and he cloaks himself in that, Right? Like, 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 like he got a hoodie on or something, but then maintains his deity inside of all of that. Now, a few things about Christ coming to us to serve. The condescending of God is unfathomable. It's miraculous. It's a portrait of God's sacrificial love. Now, think about it. The span of time and space of righteousness and unrighteousness, right, that gap, right, of holiness and sin, this is what the son traversed, right? God condescended from uh, a high place and came to a low depth, and this cannot be measured, right? Y'all missed the shout time. Do you know how much God loves you? Romans 5, 8 says it, but also if you think about the notion of how far, right? You're talking about an eternal God, right? Who, 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 you can't even fathom how high he is coming down to humanity, right? And then another set of infinite levels, because not only does he come down, he doesn't come to sit on a throne. He comes low. He's raised in Nazareth, a reputation like Nazareth. He, 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 he subjects himself to being deserted by people, to experiencing pain and thirst and hunger, and then going to subject himself to being tempted by the Satan, by the opposer, right? You have a God that who, who has traveled great lengths to come after you. That's humility. So when we think of Jesus, who is the servant of all, and we say we want to be Christians and follow Jesus and be conformed to his image, then why would we avoid service? The Greek word used uh, in Philippians 2.7 is, uh, is uh, uh, for servant or slave is doulos. Right, shameless plug, Mac to doulos before passing. You say anything. I should put my foot up on the <laughs> like you said the other day. But um, uh, so if you, if you old school and you don't know everyday process, go YouTube or something. Anyway, but um, 
Um, it's a slave. It means a slave, a bondman of servile condition. Right. This is the terminology that Paul uses in the scripture to speak of the mindset of Christ. One who gives himself up to another's will. <laughs> the eternal son does this devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. Y'all didn't see what Jesus said in Gethsemane? As he sweat in blood, I would rather me do this another way, but not my will. You like it, I love it. Whatever you want. <laughs> this, is the, this is the Savior that we serve. Jesus didn't view his position or authority as a right to rule, even though he had the right, but rather, but rather an opportunity or even necessity to serve for the benefit of others. He had the right to rule and then simply relinquished his, uh, his claim to the right. Jesus is so big on, um, on being a servant that he explains servanthood to his disciples in Mark 10, right? This is what he says uh, as they're bickering, as they often did about uh, greatness and who's greatest, which is funny if you spend time around <laughs> Jesus and your disciples, right? I'm not heaping judgment on them. It's just funny that you know who you're dealing with and then you argue amongst yourself who's the greatest. It's just funny. You already know who the greatest is. Anyway, but it is not so among you. This is what is recorded in Mark. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So again, what are we mad about? If someone, especially in a church context or in life in general, asks you to serve, is that really beneath you? You serve one who came to serve. No servant is greater than his master if he can serve and you do it. What are you mad about? Luke 22 uh, is another situation that's similar, right? Um, then a dispute uh, arose among them again. Here they go arguing again. But he said to them, the king of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you, should become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And then let's not even get into Jesus washing the disciples' feet in John 13, right? Crazy, right? So it's our default mindset, um, when can I and how can I be served? Or are you looking for opportunities to serve? Right. Epiphany, like the church has even set this up. We even got back to serve shirts <laughs> to advertise a mentality that Paul has already said that we should have. Right. Because um, um, to be honest, prompting and priming people to serve, which should already be your Christian baseline. There's nothing wrong with being served in a community. This will happen eventually. However, there is something wrong with one who names the name of Christ and never serves. Oh, I got too much, right? Um, let me scroll through. Uh, submission, um, uh, another point. The Christ submitted himself to obedience. It's a moment-by-moment -moment concept when you think of uh, obedience, right? But when it's modeled well, it's modeled like Christ, a long obedience over time in the same direction, unwavering. This is what he modeled, imperfection. He did not waver even in the face of death and death on a cross. Jesus was submissive and humble enough to, con to condescend and not have a place to lay his head. Again, we're talking about the eternal son who doesn't have a place to lay his own head. He came down. He was not wealthy, not financially set up and secure. He don't have the 401ks and 403bs y'all have in here. He didn't have the health insurance. None of that. All he did was come to serve. Um, with folks, um, uh, uh, and he was uh, willing to be associated with folks of less than admirable stature. <laughs> right? Remember, that was Jesus' reputation. He hang around him. <laughs> Jesus was also submissive and humble and voluntarily refraining from using his divinity to make his earthly ministry easier. Right? He didn't uh, uh, unveil uh, his power and divinity to make his, uh, his temptation in the wilderness easy. 
right? He didn't unveil his uh, uh, divinity um, when he's experiencing emotional pain when Lazarus died, right? Yes, he goes and heals Lazarus according to the will of the Father for the benefit of the people, but Jesus suffered in this life and refrained from making his suffering and submission easier by cheating and pulling uh, a back, uh, 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 secrets out of his back pocket regarding his divinity, Jesus is described by others in biblical accounts, but we see Jesus describe himself in Matthew 11. This is what he says about himself. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We love that, don't we? But this is what he says next. He says, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. See, we love to pay attention to parts of a verse and not, uh, and not other parts. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if Jesus is low, the question still remains on the floor. How low can you go? So switching gears a bit before I finish, humility also causes us to listen to admonishment or to not listen to admonishment and correction. Right. And rather we become offended. Right. Or, or not having humility. Right. So what we do is. When, when, when we're not humble and when we're operating in pride, when correction comes to our doorstep, which if you're human, at some point you would imagine that it should, if we're being honest, at some point, if we have a good circle around us, it probably should come to us more often than it does, right? Um, but, you know, people give us grace. So, but what we do sometimes is we become offended, right? We call folks judgmental, right? We turn away from them. We, we pull ourselves out of, out of a local assembly of believers because we don't want to be corrected. That comes from not being humble, right? From having too much pride, right? Um, our mind and our heart should be postured in such a way that we should say, you know, even if you disagree with the correction, you should say, yes, you know, I, it's possible that's me. At least start there, right? For, 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 for someone to bring correction to your doorstep, you're like, eh. I ain't got to hear nothing. You say you cannot possibly be right because I have no flaws. I have no gaps and no blind spots. <laughs> God will sometimes give us correction from folks and people that we don't even like or respect. Right? And that's, and that's where it really hits, right? Because, because think about it, right? It's one thing for your favorite pastor or preacher or minister to say, hey, man, you know, I, come on, man, you know, you, know, you got you to gotta get that together. And we accept that. But when it's from somebody that we don't like. <laughs> or, or even an unbeliever, right, who has to tell you how you navigate in life and jam you up. And what we say in the back of our mind, if we don't say out of our mouth, who they, are, who they think they are telling me, right? <laughs> right? It's crazy, right? I experience this a lot with my kids, right? Uh, they'll say something, right, and they'll refer to something I've taught them, especially if it's biblical, and they'll say it to me, and then in my mind, I'm like, who are you talking to? Eat your chicken nugget or something, right? But was it true? <laughs> right? So God is never averse to humbling us. He is never averse to humbling us, right? Just real quick, there's a couple examples where he did this in Scripture, right? God humbled Balaam because he made a donkey talk to get his point across, right? God also humbled the Israelites with a loss to get his point across against the Philistines. God also humbles us in 1 Corinthians 1, right? Um, he appointed a cross to get his point across because he confounds everything that's wise in the world, everything that we know of how things should operate, even maybe how a soul should be saved. God shuts all of that down and says, your wisdom is not wisdom. I'm going to make you look foolish. <laughs> I'm going to redeem people through what you thought was a curse <laughs> and hang somebody on a tree. <laughs> That's how I'm going to redeem people. People like to hear positive, affirming, and motivational talk about higher levels, new levels, rising up. All those things are good, but in God's economy, there's a bit um, of backwardness going on. That topsy-turviness, right? Everything's inverted. Real quick before I end, Y'all know, just a little medical point real quick, that um, uh, you see with your eyes upside down and backwards. Did you know that? Right? Um, light from an external source enters through the pupil of your eyes and forms an upside down image on your retina. 
and the retina detects the photons of light, responds by firing the neural impulses to your brain so that you can see the image right side up and in 3D, so now you have good depth perception and good orientation, right? It's backwards, and so that you can see correctly. The same thing works in God's economy. <laughs> Everything is inverted. Think about it. The way up is to find your life, you must... Instead of fighting your enemies, you must do good to them, right? The real blessing is not in, is not in receiving, but it is in the greatest of us are servants, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's more, but time says otherwise. I'll just say this as I get ready to close. Um, we, 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 we're so averse to service. We're so averse to humility. Um, uh, but God is uh, the son, the eternal son is not averse to any of this. He embraces it. Um, he embraces sacrifice. When's the last time you heard that the Christ maneuvered in any way based on convenience? It wasn't convenient for him to do anything he did in his self-giving acts which secured our redemption. It was, none of it was convenient. And we say blank doesn't mesh with my schedule or I just don't have the time for service or to stop and talk to somebody about the gospel, or to serve in, in a church setting, or whatever the case may be, um, uh, you, 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 we, we have to reevaluate ourselves. We follow a humble Savior. We must be humble. The rest of the story is, is glory, right? The rest of the verses is the result of Christ's hu uh, humility, right? And so what Paul is saying to these saints at Philippi is that mindset that caused that mindset that caused the Christ to do all that he did comes from a mindset of being humili uh, humble, right? So I'll close is this, right? The, uh, the, 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 the idea that a most high could fly low uh, in military terms is actually pretty strategic. This shows the wisdom of God, right? In military uh, situations, when you fly low, you are under the radar, when you fly very low, people may not recognize who you are, which is why many people did not recognize the Messiah when he was here because he did not come conquering at that time. People assumed that he was going to overthrow the Roman rule right then. They assumed a whole bunch about what he was going to do, but he flew low under the radar. But now that the bomb was dropped already at the cross and we know who he is, his position and his, his, his identity is revealed to all, it's up to us to respond to that, right? And to understand that because the Christ embraced humility, we also can embrace humility. Amen? Amen. I'm done out your way. Look, uh, let's get ready to pray. Let's get ready to pray. But I, I want everybody to understand here, right? So, you know, you, know you, you do averages, right? In a room in this size, you would assume that you know, not, maybe not everybody in here is a believer. Maybe you're a visitor or whatever. I want you to understand that um, this gospel, uh, uh, this good news of Jesus the Christ, uh, humility is essential in order to receive it, right? You must understand first who God is, who you're not, right? If you understand and you look at the world around you and the problem of evil and all that we see here and you look at at, at life in general, and you see that we have this problem of sin, right? The, the conclusion should be that you need a savior. We need help. You can't help yourself, right? People have said um, uh, uh, God helps those who help themselves. No, he does not. God helps those who humble themselves. You must come to the foot of the cross to receive forgiveness, you must change your mind. You need a savior. You need help. So if that's you and you in here today, then if you want to be bold and raise your hand, let us know if you would like to meet this Christ who is humble, who provides salvation for all those who would humble themselves. We would be delighted to pray for you. And if not, then the next thing I would say is those who do follow Christ, embrace the mentality that your Savior has modeled and embraces. Embrace humility. 
right? It is because of that that you have what you have. The whole reason that you can even speak to God in prayer and not be struck down is because of the humility of Christ and condescending and, and, and ripping the veil. We have access now because of his humility. So don't be averse. Embrace humility, right? doesn't mean you have to walk around self-loathing. Right. But it does mean that you should probably take some practical efforts in your life to say this person who I'm sitting beside or this this thing I need to uh, 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 do within a church community. How can I serve such and such? How can I serve the body? Something active that we need to do. Um, let's get ready for our time of communion. It's funny because, you know, uh, the, the, the scriptural uh, um, explanation of communion is, is Paul is talking about what Jesus has said and what's delivered to him. And when we do this, we're supposed to do this as often as we do it and remember him. And by default, we're remembering his humility because of what he gave up for us. So on the night when Christ was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he gave it, he broke it, and he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take, let's eat, let's remember what caused Christ to do what he did, his humility. And after supper, he took the cup. All right, this is the blood of the new covenant, right? And as often as we take this, we're supposed to do this in remembrance of him. Let's take this, drink this, and remember his sacrifice that was brought about by his humility. Let's pray. Most high God, you are most high and we recognize that. But we thank you for flying low. Had you not come low, where would we be? Oh, we're so, we dupe ourselves, God. We, we think, <laughs> we often think we're more um, than what we are. And we do have value in your eyes, God. And we thank you for that. But God, let us really remember who we are and who we owe everything to. You are the God who sits high. You do whatever you please. And we're thankful that it pleased you um, to crush your son. So we thank you for flying low. You didn't have to even though you're the most high. God, give us a mindset. Continuously reset us. Help us to be humble. Help us to adopt the mindset of the Christ, the attitude, the mentality of the Christ that is humble, that is willing to serve others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. Grace and peace, y'all. Have a good one. If you're watching online, um, go ahead and put something in the chat if you want somebody to talk to you about um, uh, Jesus the Christ. Grace and peace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.